0: If you have your Bibles with you, we'll be looking at several passages of Scripture today, but the first one is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. If you'll just keep your Bibles or your Bible applications open, and I'll direct you to the text as we get to it in the message. Uh, But while you're finding your place in Scripture, just uh, take a look around the sanctuary and not only see the beautiful people around you, but also the beautiful decorations that adorn the sanctuary. Last Monday evening, several people gathered and decorated, and we thank you, all of those who took part in that. And it reminds me of about a year ago, and the Pastor Search team members will vividly remember uh, this time, But Melanie and I came as a couple to see the campus of Huguenot Road Baptist Church for the very first time. During the interview process, I had been here a number of times to meet with the team, but Melanie had not yet seen the inside of the campus. And on that night when she and I both came, we gathered first here in the sanctuary, and it was decorated just like this. And the lights were dim, it was in the evening, and it was breathtaking. Now, when you're trying to sell the church on the pastor, (laughs) Ray Parker, the chairman of our team, knew exactly what to do to create an atmosphere that we would sense the presence of God. And Ed Lore led the prayer with the search team and Melanie and me And this morning, I was reflecting back on my journal entry after that time, and I actually had Ed's name in my journal and how meaningful his prayer was and how instrumental that time of prayer and being in this beautiful sanctuary uh, led us to where we are today to receive the call as pastor and family (coughs) here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. So Advent season has a very uh, uh, specific and, and dear meaning to us as we have come to this place to serve and I imagine that it has some very significant meaning for you as well. Each of you has a different kind of memory during this season as part of this great church and so we're delighted to be here and I pray that I will never take for granted being in this place, and I pray that we will never take for granted being part of this wonderful church family. It's a great place to be. If you're a guest with us, I'd love to talk to you more about what God is doing here and look forward to seeing you after worship service out in the narthex. As we focus in on God's word today, A man named Robert Weber had a tremendous influence on the world of worship. Philip, I'm sure you're very familiar with Robert Weber. He has passed on now. He was a prolific writer and seminary professor in the area of worship and ministry. Diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2006, he spent the final year of his life writing a book entitled Ancient Future Worship, the Culmination of His Life's Work. Weber argues that the modern church has programmed worship based on the church's wants and desires or its own traditions and its own styles and preferences, and argues that that has left the worshiper hungry for something much more. He writes that the church needs to get back to its ancient roots to recover, quote, the ancient content of worship, meaning word and table, word and table. He says this happens when we actively remember and participate in God's story. The story is remembered through scripture reading and preaching, and the story is anticipated through table. Next Sunday, we will gather and break bread together. We will celebrate the table of the Lord. Weber reminds us of a picture many of you have probably seen that captures the divine and human substance of worship. It's Michelangelo's depiction of God reaching out to man and man reaching out to God. The fingers of both nearly touching. And this is painted in the Sistine Chapel in Rome. Some of you perhaps have been there or seen part of this painting. This is just part of the greater painting. Weber writes, the two fingers say it is God who first initiates a relationship with us, but people must respond. And that worship is the story between the two fingers. He says, it is the story of how God and man, once united in the garden, but now separated by the fall, express their union. For Christians... This is the story, this story of the in-between is the story of God's son, Jesus of Nazareth, who through his death on the cross reestablished the union that had been broken between God and man. When we worship, we engage in this relationship between the God who is always seeking us, the God who revealed himself in the form of a baby and willingly gave his life on the cross, that we might have life to the full. As we worship together in Advent, I pray that these services will be very rich and meaningful to you and that you will be able to engage through the word and through the table and through the story of Christmas and perhaps meet God again for the very first time. Advent means to come. It's from Latin, which means to come. We've come to worship. You have come to worship Today, you have physically made the effort to be here, to physically engage in worship, in that relationship between the God who initiates and we who respond. You have physically positioned yourselves to be a part of that story. And I believe you're living out what Jesus said in Matthew 18, where two or more come together in my name, there I am with them. Today's sermon text from the first part of the story of the Magi, or the wise men, is in Matthew's Gospel. And we won't go through that whole story today, but rather we're going to focus just on what the Magi did when they saw the star. Hear the Word of God from Matthew 2, 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have, listen to this, and have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. We have come to worship. We have come to worship. The sole reason for their Long trip was to worship the newborn king. Many scholars would agree that they traveled some distance of perhaps eight to nine hundred miles, and when they arrived, they bowed down and they worshiped the newborn king and they presented gifts to him. They physically engaged in worship. Both in the Greek and in the Hebrew, the understanding of the word worship is to lay down before one. Prostrating oneself on your chest in full body worship. This is the picture that we have of the magi as they gathered around to worship. We believe that Jesus was a, a year old or perhaps older at this time. It, it it took them quite some time to travel there, uh, so hence usually you hear this story a little later but I I believe that it was very appropriate as we come to worship during this Advent season, hence the series title. And we're going to look at four physical postures of worship through the Advent season as we have come to worship. Next week, we're going to look at the rest of the story of the wise men as we understand what it means to bring our gifts to God. The Magi did just that. And in week three, we're going to understand what it means to lament or to pour our hearts out to God. This is a tough season for some of us. And I believe that message will help us to find comfort during this season. And in week four, we're going to look at the posture of bowing our knees, something that we as Baptists don't do too often. But if you're from a more liturgical tradition like the Episcopalians or the Catholic tradition, knew that kneeling is something that's done every time you gather, and so we'll look at what it means to kneel before God today. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture where hands are lifted heavenward as an act of worship, and if we're honest, uh, this is not something that we do so often. Many of our college students and our students, our youth, when they're worshiping, they'll lift their hands up, but For uh, many of us um, adults, we either haven't been brought up that way or it's just not something that we do as part of our tradition, and that's okay. Uh, But what I'd like to do is see some examples in Scripture that can help us, as we worship, lift our holy hands to God. And that can also happen as we have our private prayer time to God in our prayer closet. Sometimes people think raising their hands is too charismatic. Sometimes people think that it's more uh, emotional and not spiritual. But wherever you are, I would ask that you would open your minds to a fresh understanding of what it means to lift our hands as we worship God. We don't think twice about raising our hands when our favorite team scores a touchdown, do we? Especially those of you from Virginia Tech who are thankful you're bowling this season. You 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 were lifting your hands yesterday, all right? And Virginia, um, it was it's a difficult time. Perhaps not, okay, all right. But when we cheer for our team, we don't think twice about raising our hands. It's okay. Or when you go to the Squirrels game and they throw out the free hot dogs into the stands, you're you're raising you're about falling off of the second deck because you want that that free hot dog. We don't think twice about that or what if you go to a Taylor Swift concert I mean your hands are way up you know (laughs) right now and then when we when we come to church we're like no you know it's not something we do and I'm not saying that churches should change their traditions I'm, I'm just saying that perhaps we could be more open to how the spirit leads us in worship And feel comfortable expressing that in our private prayer closet, or even when God really moves you, perhaps through a song or another way that you worship. Tim Hawkins is a Christian comedian, and he is just so funny and does a great job talking about this whole idea of raising your hands in worship, and he says, in some traditions where you're more reserved, he he calls it the carrying the TV, lifting up the hands, where it's just like this. Nobody can really see it. And then he says, this is, you know, the, the widescreen TV. It's still down here, right? And then for those of you who love to bake, it's the, I brought the pound cake to the potluck supper praising, right? Choir, right? Right here, okay? And, and then the, the touchdown in the end zone, pointing the finger upward. And then he also, uh, I think it's him or somebody else, talks about the washing the windows, Right here, you know, just kind of get the move going, all right? Or the um, parade wave, you know, the young lady sitting in the back of the convertible and just kind of waving like that, all right? Uh, All in between, different ways that uh, people lift their hands up to God. It's a way that we acknowledge that God is worthy of our worship. Some, Some of us, myself included, Wave our hands to God when we want something. All right, God. And we look at God as sort of a cosmic vending machine. All right, okay, now I want something, I need something. Our culture's got that wrong. We lift our hands to God as a response to the God who initiates worship, who initiates relationship. Just as you saw in the painting by Michelangelo earlier in the service, it is God who initiates and we respond. And when we lift our hand to God, may our response be a genuine response to bring all that we have and all we are to worship. So our key thought for today is that lifting our hands is one of several postures of worship. It's something that we can physically do. And lifting one's hands was in Scripture and is today a response to God's presence. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The strength part, strength worship, is when we physically engage in a posture of worship, And one of those happens to be the lifted hands. And we'll look at four of those ways uh, as we seek to grow in our understanding of worship. First, if you're taking notes, we lift our hands to show our love to God. God, I love you. God, I love you. I worship you and I adore you. Psalm 63 verses 1 through 4. You, my God, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hand. So as you read that scripture, perhaps you'll take your sermon notes this week and in in your own study, you just lift your hands when you read that passage. This is David writing and we believe that he was fleeing from Absalom, his son. You know, Absalom had turned on his father and David came to a crisis of belief and raised his hands to express his love for God. And I believe more than love, perhaps David was saying, God, I'm just... Uh, giving you the victory here, but also surrendering myself because the uplifted hands are a sign of victory and also a sign of total and complete surrender to god if if you 're a, a believer, you might reflect back to the time that you totally surrendered your life to God. maybe it was in vacation Bible school when you were a child, maybe you went on a youth retreat and God moved in your heart and you said yes, and you surrendered yourself and give God the victory at that time or maybe like uh, Paul the apostle you were an adult young adult or an older adult when you came to know the Lord as your savior Uh, however that happened you can imagine back saying yes to God and uplifting your hands to show him your love another way that we lift our hands to God is to reach out Not that we want something, but we're reaching out because we need him. We need God. James writes, draw near to God and God will draw near to you or come near to you. And I believe that with all my heart. The picture that I have in my mind is when my daughter Isabella was little. Now she's 11 and I can't do this as much anymore, but when she was little and we would go to the beach, uh, she would love to go out into the waves when they were crashing in, and I uh, would get her by the two hands, and she'd be down in front of me, and then the waves would come, and I would pick her up, and her feet would go over the wave, and I would bring her back down, and she would, she would, Do it again, Daddy, do it again. And over and over again, I would lift her up over the crashing waves. Um, She would reach out to me when the wave would come. She knew that I would pick her up, and she knew that I would not drop her. This is the picture that speaks to me. Maybe there's another way that you image yourself reaching out to God and God drawing close to you. God never grows weary of reaching out to us. The third way we lift our hands is as an offering of praise. An offering of praise. Psalm 141 verses 1 and 2. I call you, I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call you. May my prayer be set before you like incense like incense in the tabernacle. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. May may our lifting of hands, may our physical posture of worship be just as good as the evening sacrifice, that we humble ourselves as living sacrifices as we respond to God's initiative. That's a wonderful way that our uplifted hands are an offering to God saying, Here I am, God. Send me. Perhaps David was at a low point in his life when he wrote that. Perhaps he was saying, God, I offer myself to you not because of what I see, but because of how you are. And then fourth, if you're taking notes, We lift our hands in life's battles. The other Sunday, uh, we were gathering for prayer before the 830 service, and Philip, our associate pastor of worship and music, had just come back from being with his mother, who's ill, and Philip I'll never forget being up here with you as we prayed together. And the passage that I'm getting ready to read is what we prayed. We held his hands up so that he would have strength. Exodus 17, a wonderful picture of how we lift up our hands or others lift them up as we face life's battles. I'm going to back up to verse 8 in Exodus 17. And then we'll uh, go through verse 13. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And they were in the desert. You remember that. They had gone through Sinai, crossed the Red Sea. Now they were in the Sinai uh, desert. Uh, Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. See, power came through Moses from God as he lifted his hands to God. When Moses' hands grew tired, Aaron and Hur took a stone and put it under him And he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. And Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. There was victory given because others came alongside of Moses and lifted up his weary arms. It's a beautiful picture of the church as we face the battles that we face. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's grief. And this is the first Thanksgiving and Advent and Christmas season since you have lost a dear loved one. And you're struggling with that new normal. And others can come alongside of you and hold up your hands to God so that you would have strength for that battle. Maybe it's fear of something. Maybe it's an addiction and you're struggling in some way. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe there's depression or anxiety and you feel so alone in that. And you need somebody in the church who identifies with with your struggle to come alongside. Or maybe you just have to share that with somebody close that they can hold your hands up to God that you would have power to face that battle. Maybe it's your health. Maybe you just got some bad news or maybe you're going through a time of treatment and you need somebody to come along and lift your hands up to God. Maybe you're struggling financially. Maybe it's your work. Maybe you're looking for a new job or you're trying to find one to pay the bills. God gives power to us through others who come alongside in the church and lift up our weary hands. Together we uphold one another. Together we raise our hands to God. Jesus again said, Where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with them. With raised hands, we surrender our battles to God. And we claim the victory that has already been won through Christ Jesus who gives us hope. God meets us right where we are. And all God wants is to be the Lord of our lives. This past week, our family traveled to South Carolina to spend Thanksgiving. We stayed at Melanie's mom's house. And Melanie's mom fed us like there was no tomorrow. And we arrived back home yesterday. But on uh, feeling kind of guilty about the extra serving of sweet potato casserole with all the trimmings on top, And the stuffing and the turkey and the Oreo pie. I went for a run Friday morning. And as I came down a hill and approached an intersection, I came up to a stop sign. Remember, I've known Melanie 30 years. We met in 1985 in college. So I've been traveling to her home for 30 years. We've been married 25 of those. But I never knew the road that I turned down. I just knew to go to her house, right? Right. I never knew the name of the street. To go to her house was Lordship Lane. She lives on Denbeck. But I came up to a stop sign. It was a T intersection. And there the stop sign was, and on the same pole was Lordship Lane. And I had to stop. Because God desires to be the Lord of my life. I don't always live that way. I've been missing that street sign for 30 years. I'll never miss it again. God wants you and me to raise our holy hands to him. He wants to be Lord of our lives. He wants us to love him. He wants us to reach out to him in need, not as a cosmic vending machine, but in our needs. The desires of our heart. He desires that we would be an offering and he desires that we would give him the battles and allow other people to come alongside and lift up our holy hands that we would have victory in Jesus and say, I surrender all to you. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? If you're a believer in Christ like I am and Maybe you need a reminder, as I had the other day, coming to a stop sign and to acknowledge God's lordship over whatever your situation is and over your life. Maybe you need a reminder, and perhaps that story will speak to your heart today, to make a commitment during this Advent season that he would be lord of your life and that you would give him your all. Or maybe you're not a believer in Christ and you're here and you're kind of checking out Christianity And today's message has spoken to you and you would say, you know, I I need to take that step of faith. I need to invite Jesus Christ to me, my Savior and Lord. And I, I need to go ahead and surrender to baptism and live the life that God desires for me to live. I hope that you'll respond. Maybe you just stay right where you are in your seat as we're singing and you'll speak to me or one of our staff afterward. Or if you feel so led to come during the song to make a public Profession of whatever that decision is, we invite you to come today. Our song of response is Come, Thou Long Expect.